Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Thursday. We've got a treat for you, and that is Jennifer Lull. She is one of my most popular guests. We are going to be talking again about the surrogacy industry, why this is in the news, how women are being targeted to sell their eggs and what this all means. We're also going to be talking about her new documentary, which is about detransitioning and how this whole medical industry is pushing all of these things that are hurting young people and specifically women's fertility. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to goodranchers.com slash Allie. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie. Okay, you guys are absolutely going to love this conversation as much as, if not more than, you loved the conversations that I had with Jennifer at the beginning of this year when we talked about the truth and the corruption um, of the surrogacy industry and some of the ethical questions that we have about IVF and other kinds of reproductive technology. Now, if you have not listened to those episodes or watched them on YouTube, I really encourage you to do that because we don't get into all of the details of the issues with these things in today's episode. So as I can imagine it will be, if it is sensitive to those of you who have either uh, been a surrogate or you've gone through IVF, please go back and listen to those episodes Um So you can get a full understanding and a full context of what we are talking about. If you have questions of like, what about this scenario when it comes to surrogacy? What about this scenario when it comes to IVF for embryo adoption and all those things? We talk about all of that on those previous episodes. Today, we are going to talk more about why these things are in the news, why they are becoming more popular, why it is, for example, single men that are the largest um, buyers of surrogates and of eggs that are being sold by women. What does all of this mean for our country? Uh, So that's really what we're getting into today, as well as the detransitioning piece and how it's all connected. Uh, But before we get into that conversation, let me just give a quick plug for the socks that Blaze TV is selling. They're really cute. I don't know if cute is the right word, but they're patriotic. They're fun. So there's three different kinds of socks that uh, Blaze Media is selling. One of them is Ron DeSantis. He's riding on the back of an alligator because why not? He's saying own the libs. The other one is the head of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, saying you will eat the bugs. Of course, we're not. And then we've got Donald Trump on the other pair of socks with his little MAGA crown on. So these are really fun gifts all made in America. So that's awesome. Go to blazesocks.com. Get them before they're gone. Blaze TV subscribers get an extra discount of 20% off if you uh, use the promo code BLAZESUB. That's only available to Blaze TV subscribers. Plus, you should be subscribing to Blaze TV anyway. It might just be a matter of time before we get kicked off YouTube and all of the free places where you can find us. So go ahead, subscribe to Blaze TV, support conservative media. Plus you get that 20% off your socks. Go to blazesocks.com. That's blazesocks.com. All right, without further ado, here is our good friend, Jennifer Law. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us again. Just as a recap, could you tell us who you are and what you do? 
Sure. Um, I'm Jennifer Law, and I'm the president of a nonprofit organization in the San Francisco Bay Area called the Center for Bioethics and Culture. And we're an educational nonprofit that um, really does a lot of work in the space of new novel technologies and spend a lot of our time in the area of medical ethics as it relates to fertility and infertility. And we've talked a lot about a lot of the ethical problems and questions surrounding IVF and surrogacy. And we're going to talk more about that today and how it has become so mainstream and almost this untouchable topic for people. But before we get into that, I want to talk to you about your new documentary that's coming out, The Detransition Diaries, Saving Our Sisters. So this doesn't have to do directly with the reproductive industry. So why is this something that you are investing your time into? Yeah, well, a couple of reasons, in case your audience doesn't know, in a previous life, I was a pediatric critical care nurse for many, many years. I worked at UC San Francisco, UCLA, Children's Hospital in Oakland. So I was always concerned around um, the area of trans transgender children. So last year, we released a film called Transmission, What's the Rush to Reassign Gender, which focused on the medical, ethical Um, issues around rushing children to change sex as if they could actually do that. And what we saw in the um, audience reactions to that film was how much the audience connected with the the, the two people on camera that we interviewed who had detransitioned, mm-hmm. people who thought that transitioning to the opposite sex would help their problems, solve their problems, and only didn't. And, you know, there there is what's called a social contagion. So we're seeing this space of people who think they're gender confused is much more impacting young women, young girls. And so we decided to quickly release the Detransition Diaries, which focuses solely on women who thought that they were men and only to find out that they'd made terribly wrong uh, decisions that had irreversible harm. And it does relate to fertility in that children before they transition or young adults before they transition are offered what we call fertility preservation. So little boys or young men are offered to freeze and bank their sperm. Um, Girls are offered to freeze and bank their eggs. So when they transition, if and when they want to have children, because we know that medical and surgical transitioning ruins your fertility. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so they've, they've, you know, anticipated children down the road and they want to preserve fertility in some warped way. So not only does transition medicine, medical care, and I say that very loosely because this is not medicine, it, it, it creates these patients for life. Mm. They'll forever have to be interfacing with the medical establishment to maintain their their facade of pretending to be the opposite sex. And then if and when they want to have children, they will need the medical industrial complex again in order to have children. Yes. So, so the issue does relate to fertility, but in a very obscure and bizarre and horrific way. Yes. And I wish I had thought to pull this video before our conversation because I would play it. But I saw circulating on Twitter a video from Boston Children's Hospital, Boston Children's Hospital, of the so-called gender specialist who said that she performs what she called. I mean, there's just nothing more dystopian and more wicked than this phrase, gender affirming hysterectomies. Gender affirming hysterectomy. So we're talking about a children's hospital performing this on minors. I don't know every single side effect or consequence 
of a hysterectomy, but I do know that even in older women who get hysterectomies, there are side effects. There are um, hormonal issues that they then deal with. Of course, the physical trauma of dealing with that big of a surgery. I have had two C-sections, not a hysterectomy, but that in itself was traumatic in some ways, very painful. That comes with its own long-term consequences. I imagine something much more invasive, like taking out not just your uterus, but I believe your fallopian tubes, sometimes your ovaries as well. I cannot imagine the physical effect that that has on a child, of course, ruining their fertility, but ruining everything else as well. What do you make of that? Oh, well, I think it's criminal. And then I just, I mean, I can't even imagine, I sometimes wonder if I hadn't left nursing and I was, because many of the hospitals that I practice nursing in are doing this kind of treatment and it's not treatment. And I'm sure I would have been fired because I would have been the one with the big mouth saying over my dead body. Right. But it's how, when you look at how fast that medicine has shifted, because when I look back to when I was working in clinical nursing and we had these children in the hospital that were gender confused or born with what we called ambiguous genitalia, meaning they had an extra X or an extra Y, it, the, the, the obviously standard of care was prudence. You know, don't rush these kids to do anything. A right. lot of these problems will sort themselves out. We do not need to intervene. Maybe we need to do some kind of counseling or therapy, but no medical surgical intervention at all. And I look at how fast that this is is unraveled. But then I'm also optimistic when I look at how fast it's it's collapsing in the United Kingdom with all these recent you know news articles about all the lawsuits that are being filed with people who bought into this lie that this treatment was going to help them only to find, like you said, it's destroyed their body. I mean, our bodies are designed a perfect, a, yeah. in per, a particular way because yeah. there's a reason. There's a reason why we need estrogen as women. There's a reason why men need testosterone. It has all all to do with the development of our bones and our brains and, and right. our, you know, our whole entire body. And when we think that we, you know, we're, we're crazy out here in California where I live about the environment. You know, we don't want to put anything in the soil or the water that might harm, harm crops or plants. But then in the human body, we think, oh, we can just turn this off and chop that off and put this hormone in the wrong sex person and nothing bad is going to happen. It's, it's kind of silly. You don't have to be a you know, a scientist to know that that's yeah. got to be risky. Yeah. You know, I've never thought about it particularly like this. Of course, we understand that this is the mutilation of a person's body, but especially when it comes to minors, I do think it is a, a form of abuse because they are not, they don't have the capacity to consent. We understand that in other ways, but for some reason, when it comes to gender affirming care, aka, you know, chopping up your body, we think that magically that they do have the understanding to be able to consent. But I've, I've never really thought about that these kinds of surgeries and these kinds of procedures for um, the fantasy, the delusion of gender switching views parts of your body as superfluous 
that we understand like actually have a function like oh we can just chop off healthy breasts or we can just like castrate a healthy male or we can take the uterus and the fallopian tubes and the ovaries out of like a healthy young woman and oh you don't really need those things to survive (laughs) it's fine i mean that's like taking off a part of your healthy liver and just saying okay you're probably going to be okay sure you might be okay But maybe, maybe these parts of our bodies were given to us for, as you said, a particular reason. Maybe we actually do need them to function and to flourish. And I also think about, like you said, the cross-sex hormones not allowing someone to go through proper puberty. Is it puberty necessary, not just for physical maturation, but for mental maturation as well? Absolutely. And when you look at, you know, this whole area is called human development. And we start when we're an embryo (laughs) and then we develop into a a fetus and then a baby and then a toddler and then a a preteen and a teenager. And I mean, it's all part of a normal process that you can't interrupt and think that there's not going to be any kind of damage or harm. You can't shut off, um, you know, that's sort of the whole transhumanist you know, futuristic pipe dream of, you know, being able to turn ourselves into whatever we want, which I don't think, I think there's a lot of hubris, um, you mm-hmm. know, think Tower of Babel. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then God looks down at our, at our folly. But um, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, we are, we are fearfully and wonderfully made and everything fits together and works as it's supposed to, according to our natural human development. Yes. And I think we we talked about this last time. When you go, when technology takes you, especially when it comes to the human body, but really when it comes to anything, when technology takes you from what's natural to what's possible, whether you're talking about the attempt to sex switch or whether you're talking about commercial surrogacy and IVF and things like that, there are always, at the very least questions about the consequences of going from what's natural to what's possible. That doesn't mean all technology and medical advancements are bad, of course, but there are at the very least ethical questions. And we're told when it comes to this gender stuff that we can't even ask questions at all. Um, Tell us some of the commonalities that you saw in um, interviewing these detransitioners for your documentary. Were all of them kind of like rushed into this process? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that they were never offered any other alternatives. Um, you know, all what the theme is, and and I follow a lot of the detransition people on social media that mm-hmm. aren't in the film too. So I can say overwhelmingly, these are these are themes. You know, these are people that had early childhood trauma. Um, they had struggled with depression, with panic attack anxieties. These are young women, often um, more so young women that had eating disorders or histories of self-harming, um, suicidal ideation, suicidal attempts even in some, in some cases in, in the women that I've spoken to and interviewed. So, you know, in, in my mind, these women had uh, real mental health issues that needed to be addressed through um, psychologists, through psychiatrists, through social workers, through family therapists, on and on and on. But what these children were bombarded with was um, counselors, uh, educators, school counselors, school Mm -hmm. teachers, affirming uh, peer groups. Um, Another theme is that these people are spending, these young people are spending way too much time on social media. 
So they have these friends um, in, in, in online communities that they haven't even ever met who are affirming them and saying, yes, you'll feel so much better if you do this. Well, the reason you feel this way is because you're born in the wrong body. That's what the problem is. And once you transition, you know, this will all go away. So there's so many themes here. And again, back to, you know, many years ago when I was working in, in hospital nursing, we would have caught all that. Those would be right. red flags before you rush somebody off to the gender affirming um, clinic for, for tr treatment and therapies. All right, quick pause from that insightful conversation to tell you about Good Ranchers. You guys know Good Ranchers is American meat delivered right to your front door, makes your life easier. Plus, you're supporting American farms and ranches by getting your chicken, beef, and seafood from American farmers and ranchers. But by buying this meat, you are also supporting kids in need kids who are ending up malnourished from poor access to nutritious food. Good Ranchers has a campaign going on right now to donate 100,000 high quality meals to these kids. And you can join the campaign by ordering a box of 100% American meat. So every time you order a box of this meat, you are contributing to the cause of donating life-saving food to kids in need. Go to goodranchers.com slash Allie. You'll get $30 off your order, plus free shipping, plus you're giving back to these vulnerable communities. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie, goodranchers.com slash Allie. There are still so many questions as much as I talk about this, and I know that you've looked into it so much as well. I've talked to people of all different angles. I've talked to Christians. I've talked to non-Christians. I've talked to conservatives. I've talked to left-wing feminists. And, you know, we have a lot of mutuals. These are kind of people that we all interact with and are fans of and, and follow. And so I, I think that I see a lot of what is behind this, whether it is just kind of like powerful men in some cases, like playing out, honestly, their sexual fantasies. That's something that Genevieve Gluck has kind of unveiled through her research or whether it's seemingly well-meaning people who actually think that they are just helping young people, but they're entirely misguided, whether it's people who are making money from these pharmaceutical companies, whether it's people who are scared because of the political backlash. But I still find myself asking, even knowing all those things exist, why? Why? Like, what is really behind this? We know the harm. It's just common sense, but also we see it through documentaries like yours. Why? Why are people pushing this? Why is there such a powerful industry behind it? Why does the Biden administration push this completely uncritically? So when you wrestle with that question, as I'm sure you do, what yeah. do you kind of come up with? Yeah, I mean, I can't. I have my my hypothesis or hypotheses, yeah. and I can't I can't prove prove why I think it's happening. Um, when I look at what's happening with with the trans movement movement and then the men having babies move, movement. I mean, I think there's an absolute, um, maybe it's too strong of a word, but I want to say hate to sort of traditional families. You know, we have men having babies now, which is, you know, we throw that phrase out there like men having babies, whether they're trans women or gay men or, you know, we have this absurdity, but there is this sort of undermining of um, the nuclear family and you know and and this sort of releasing giving away or culture stealing our children so now parents no longer have authority 
Um, you know, teachers have authority. Parents are afraid to not affirm their children because they might lose their children. Yeah. Social services might come in and take your children away from you. I mean, can you imagine living with that? I mean, I live in the backyard of a father out here who's in a really hard, nasty custody battle with his son and his ex-wife who says that their son is really a girl. Yeah. And this Poor father has not seen his son for, I think, several years now. He has no ability to even see his son. I mean, that's a terrifying um, thing that's happened in our society where parents can't, you know, are are worried about losing their own children and and their children being destroyed. Um, You know, the media is of no help. I mean, you're you're a godsend to people like me because the media is only singing the the narrative that the the pro-trans community want them um, to sing. You know, we're fighting Senator Weiner out here in California because our state's just like minutes away from becoming a sanctuary state for young minors who can come here for their gender affirmation therapies and surgeries when states like you know, Texas have said this is child abuse. And I agree it's child abuse, but we're now going to become a sanctuary state where these children will be able to come here and get their, you know, body mutilation surgeries. Um, yep. And it's also this, the corruption of uh, medicine, which has been corrupted by money. Yes, that's, uh, that's yeah. always part of it. And it was Jesus who said the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And man, I've thought about that phrase a lot, especially over the past few years, especially as it pertains to what you referred to. And I agree with this phrase, the medical industrial complex. The love of money in that world, in all different spheres of society, but in that world is the root of all kinds of evil. There might be lots of different groups with different, different nefarious or political motivations, but at the end of the day, if chopping off the breasts of young girls and castrating males and putting them on sex, uh, opposite sex hormones, and as you said, creating lifelong patients, if that was not lucrative... It would not be mainstream. Even yeah. the even the political push behind it would fail. If it did not make money for people, then it wouldn't be where it is. And I just wonder, like, are there any Republicans, they would have to be Republicans, with the courage to go after that structure, with the courage to do something that would make it not lucrative and actually make it riskier to perform (laughs) genital mutilation on kids than it is to actually perform it. Well, I've certainly seen politicians that have been willing to do that in the, in the area of transing children. And, you know, um, you know, Ron DeSantis, Governor DeSantis in Florida has been very outspoken. Um, You know, I know South Dakota has several times tried to, um, advanced push legislation that would, you know, prohibit kids under 16 from doing any of this. They haven't been successful. I could talk a little bit about my dis- dissatisfaction with the governor there on that. But on the other issue around this, you know, the surrogacy issue and, you know, poaching eggs from young women um, to make babies, that's been really hard to get politicians on, on the left or the right, because the the right loves babies. They love helping people have babies. Uh, and the left loves a woman's right to choose to do whatever she wants with her body. 
Yeah, right. And so we'll talk more about the the ethics of that in just one second. And I, I but first, I, I want to play because I saw this circulating on Twitter too. Um, I I want to play this video. It's from NBC News, and it's of this mother. I'm um, talking to her son, who she says is becoming a girl, and um. The, there's an interview, for those who are listening, you're not going to be able to see this. There's an interview with the child and the mother. The child is being asked questions by this reporter. And um, the mother, you can actually see her mouthing the words that her child is saying because it is, um, it's rehearsed. So let me play that. Nine-year-old Kieran Clawson collects crystals. She dabbles in face paint and she loves sports. What do you play? I did play volleyball, soccer, and I want to play basketball. To Kieran, who's transgender, it's not about racking up victories. I don't want to win any trophies for it, though. I feel like that's the mo most unfair way to compete because it's not about winning. What's it about? Having fun with your friends for it, though. I feel like that's the most most unfair way to compete because it's not about winning. Kieran seems undeterred with a message now about her journey. Never stop being you. That's it. Never stop being you. There's so many kids that don't even have the opportunity to express who they really are. We are acknowledging more people as who they are than taking something away from somebody else. So you saw that mother mouthing what her child is supposed to say. That's a young boy pretending to be a girl. The mother also, I think, is pretending to cry about it. What's your what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, earlier I said parents are rightly concerned about having their children removed from them for not allowing their children to change sex. I think this is a case where this mother needs therapy and that this might be a case where this child needs to be removed from her care. Um, because I see um, all kinds of red flags of course, <laughs> that sort of hint of mental illness or projection or Munchausen by proxy. Exactly. Um, you know, a lot of these, these, you know, mothers in particular are, are just trying to seek attention. Yes. I think, uh, yeah, I saw someone say, maybe I think it was Lauren Chan on Twitter that this kind of like makes white mothers feel like they're a part of an oppressed class um you know tired of getting berated as not being enough of an uh, of an ally when it comes to anti-racism or something and this is a way for them to kind of like take on an oppressed identity through their child which is kind of munchausen by proxy yeah and we see that just in the pronouns you know the the easiest way to all of a sudden seem like you're you're hip and on the right side of this is just slap some pronouns in your email signature or, or introduce yourself as I'm Jennifer. My, my pronouns are, you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. It's, oh my gosh. That's as soon, as soon as I see pronouns in someone's bio, that's when I know I'm like, I know okay, it's I a red just, flag. Yes. Total red flag. All right. Let's talk about how this all connects. You mentioned at the beginning of this, how this all connects to the fertility industry by making these lifelong patients. But can you kind of connect us ideologically or philosophically? What connects the mentality of someone who is pro-transition, pro-transition for children to advocacy for all the different kinds of reproductive technology that we are seeing kind of take over the birthing pregnancy industry? Well, part of it is, I think, embracing, um, you know, this 
this dualism of mind and body and that we can do whatever we want to the body because it's not us. Yes. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, this, you hear these embracing my true self. I need my true identity. Yes. Um, I, re I really am, you know, a, a legless man. So please chop off my healthy limbs you right. know, so I can find my true self. You know, this whole transhumanist that just sort of, um, whether it be Gnosticistic or Gnosticism, but just, you know, that the human body is nothing. It's just, you know, malleable. We can make make it what we whatever we want. Mm -hmm. And, you know, why why else would we have this technology if we're not supposed to use it? You know, technology's great and wonderful and let let's, you know, just run with this. Right. Right. Yeah. I do think that that is the mentality that whether people know it or not, that connects them, that dualism, Nancy Piercy in her book Love Thy Body talks about that a lot. That was very enlightening to me, just the philosophical foundations of this idea that the body is arbitrary and nothing and who we really are is a feeling deep down inside, which runs counter, of course, to science and logic. But as a Christian, it also runs counter to Christian theology. We are told that our body matters, that it actually has a purpose, that our physical body, our gender tells us a lot about who we are and what we're for. And so to me, the denial of that is not just a denial of the body and science and common sense, but also a denial of the idea of a creator, that there is an authority higher than us that tells us what we are and who we are. Ultimately, I think that's what it comes down to, whether people recognize it or not. All right, another break to tell you about our next sponsor, and that is Annie's Kit Clubs. So if you are looking to ensure that your kids are spending their downtime in a way that is productive and is still exercising their minds in a way that is also fun, you need to check out Annie's Kit Clubs. It's a subscription service month to month that sends your kids craft kits to your front door. So we're talking about STEM activities. We're talking about building projects for young woodworkers, different kinds of craft kits like jewelry making for your girls. Lots of fun stuff. All the supplies and instructions are included, shows up to your front door every month. They also have a creative women's club if you like crafting yourself. So it really is fun for the whole family. Also, you can cancel anytime. It's month to month, super easy. Plus, I have a really good deal for you, relatable listeners. If you go to annieskitclubs.com slash Allie, you get your first month for 75% off. That's annieskitclubs.com slash Allie for 75% off your first month. Go to annieskitclubs.com slash Allie. Um, let's, let's transition then into the world that you really focus on a lot, which is reproductive technology and surrogacy. I want to get your reaction to a few stories that I've seen come out in the news. And as soon as I saw them, I was like, I want to know what Jennifer Law would think about this. So New York Post headline, I just gave birth to a baby for strangers I met on Instagram. Lifestyle influencer and mom of two, Samantha Matthews, decided to be a gestational surrogate for a Manhattan couple after they reached out to her on Instagram. She gave birth to a healthy baby boy on July 27th. She was paid $40,000. Um, so she thought that this was awesome, a great way to make money. And maybe some people read the story and say, more power to you, girl. <laughs> well, it's funny because so many of the surrogates I know found the intended parents, we call them the intended parents, um, on social media, either through Facebook or, you know, because there's plenty of surrogacy groups 
um, people that are looking for surrogates, surrogates that are looking to be matched. It's kind of like date online dating. So it's not uncommon for surrogates to match up, if you will, with intended parents on social media. And it's not uncommon for literally these women to give birth to strangers, um, you know, because we have so much international surrogacy. So, so many, you know, people from China hiring surrogates in California. And, you know, of course, you never meet these people. Um, so it's, it, it is so bizarre. It gets, but it gets back to the fact that we don't have any sense of reverence for the, for the body, any right. sense of dignity of the body, um, that we're literally parceling it out, um, you know, to strangers, creating children with no respect or dignity of, of them, right. you know, using eggs from somebody, you know, some beautiful Stanford Ivy League school, using, you know, sperm from some handsome Danish guy from Denmark, you know, hi hiring a, a womb in, you know, the middle of America in Idaho or something, you know, it's just, it, you know, we ha if you have money and you have technology and you've got a society and medical establishment that embraces all this, it's like, what could be wrong? Right. If you can do it, then you should do it, basically, is kind of the mentality. And it's also what you talk about, what Katie Faust talks about a lot, this idea that people have a right to a child by any means possible, you have a right to a child. Um, oh. No one ever thinks about the child's right. They think, well, you don't remember your time inside the womb. You don't remember your birth. Who cares? So what is the consequence on the child of something like this? Well, you do you do remember all that. And, you know, be, before surrogacy took off, um, you know, we have tons of you know, research in the medical literature on maternal child bonding. I mean, we even have a phrase for it called maternal child. It's not child bonding or maternal bonding. It's maternal child bonding because they go together. And, you know, th this notion that, um, you know, I always like to remind people that we don't allow puppies to be removed from their mother when they're born. It's seen as animal cruelty and, mm. and, and inhumane, inhumane treatment to an animal, but we do it to a newborn baby. We know that um, even in a surrogate pregnancy, that, that mother is told not to bond, so she's told to dissociate from her body and uses words like, I'm on a journey, I'm helping to build a family, but that baby's not in a privy to any of those kind of agreements. That baby hasn't agreed to not bond to the, the womb that it's growing into. You know, when a newborn baby is born, I remind people all the time, because I was a pediatric nurse, the only thing that newborn baby knows, and you don't have to teach them, they know their mother, they know their birth mother. And you will hear from surrogates often about how when they do get to visit the baby or hold the baby after they've given birth, how that baby immediately settles and quiets and calms when they, they hold them. One surrogate in, a, in one of my films that I produced, um, she gave birth to a gay couple, a baby for a gay couple. And they called her basically because this baby was just crying, 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 crying. You know, how do we console this child? So she came over and the minute that baby was in its, her arms, the baby quieted down. Ugh. So we know that there's a trauma. We Ugh, know there's a trauma to mother cry. and child. In our own research, which just came out in publication two weeks ago now, when we took 97 American surrogate women through our survey, our peer-reviewed survey, um, they had more postpartum depression in their surrogate pregnancy than they reported when they gave birth to their own children. And I'm sure that's because you go home with empty arms. 
Yes, of course, because it's unnatural. And a lot of people say, well, that's why surrogates are so selfless. They know it's going to be difficult. And yet they're doing this on behalf of a couple who can't have children. I'm like, well, it's not necessarily selfless because you're also getting paid tens of thousands of dollars. And who is it really selfless for? On behalf of who? Being selfless on behalf of the people who rented your womb? It's not being selfless on behalf of the child who did not ask to be created and then taken away, not just from the biological mother who donated the egg, but also the gestator whose womb that they have been in. So who really is it selfless for, especially when it comes to commercial surrogacy? Yeah, and I see it um, really... um traumatizes the surrogate's own children too. I mean, you're a mom, I'm a mom, you know, when when little children are in the house and mommy tells them they're gonna have another baby, everybody's excited, are we gonna get a brother, are we gonna get a sister? You know, and these little children don't get to have that kind of excitement. Yeah. You know, they don't get to look forward to an, another sibling. You know, and they're they're also groomed. I'm gonna get into James Lindsay trouble here. Grooming, grooming, we're grooming children that mothers keep some babies and mothers sell some babies to help other people. Right. Do we really want those kind of messages sent to children that this is what mommy does with her body. This is what daddy agrees to let mommy do with her body so that we can help somebody else with a baby. Um, yeah. You know, I think there's going to be all kinds of long-term consequences that we can't even imagine on little children that have been in raised, raised in homes where they've seen their mommies do this. And they've oftentimes seen their mommies do this several times. Yeah. Um, my partner, Callie Fell, is the host of our podcast, Venus Rising. And she had a, um, a young woman as a guest um, last season. And this young woman, as a little girl, watched her mother die of pregnancy-related complications from her surrogate pregnancy. Mm, wow. I can't imagine the long-term trauma yeah. of something like that. Um, mm-hmm. the, biggest, uh, the biggest pushback that I get when I talk about this, well, there's a few, but one of them is, well, <laughs> the woman is choosing. She's choosing. It's her, you know, her body, her choice kind of thing. And she knows the consequences. She's going into it. She's deciding this. Why is it the commodity, because I call it the commodification of women, the commodification of a womb, and people say, well, it's not. It's not objectification. It's not commodification because the woman is consenting to it. I have my own problems with that line of reasoning, but how do you respond to that? Well, a couple ways. One is she's not choosing to do this overwhelmingly. If you take the money out of the equation, the, you know, the number of women willing to do a pregnancy for nine months and give a baby away dwindles down to pretty close to zero. You know, then you're left with maybe a sister's willing to be the surrogate for her sister. Or you see the, the you know, older women, the grandmothers carrying their grandchildren to term. And, you know, those are not commercial uh, contracts. You won't see the abuse in third world countries of women. The women are, who are doing surrogacy for money are coming from impoverished con- countries. And if they're not being paid, they're not going to be doing this. Um, so I think the, the one hand, women aren't choosing this. You know, it's sort of like when you look at informed consent of patients, you know, when does your doctor offer you a big chunk of money to do something medically with your body? Mm. Um, I push back too, because there are some things that medicine shouldn't allow women to do, or people to do, men and women, just because they choose to. You know, I wanna sell my kidney, why can't I sell my kidney? 
You know, I don't want to just give it away to help somebody. I want to get paid for it. Well, we don't let people, even though it's my body and it's my kidney. Um, I don't think if I wanted to choose to go in and have my healthy legs chopped off because I'm a body dysmorphic person who feels like I'm a legless person, you know, I shouldn't be allowed to choose that. So everybody just goes, we should be able to choose to do whatever we want with our bodies. And I can't, you know, yeah. I can't choose to get stink, stinking drunk and get behind a car without a seatbelt on and text while I'm driving drunk. I can't choose to do that. Yeah. Even though it's my body, it's my choice. So, you know, you can just sort of play that out in all kinds of absurd, but you know, but closer to home, um, I can't, I can't choose to put myself up on eBay as somebody's slave. Right. And sell, my, right. And sell myself yeah. to my body, to the highest bidder. You want a 24-7 slave, I'm yours. Give me $5 million. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, people do put themselves up as a form of like sex slaves and prostitution. Of course, they get paid for that. But I mean, there is still a reason why there are limitations and restrictions on something like that. And yet there are people who advocate for that kind of thing to be legal because of what we're talking about, this kind of like a reductive understanding of morality as only the presence or absence of consent. Like consent is the only thing that we should ask when trying to determine whether something is moral or not. And I think that there are many questions beyond a yes or no consent that we have to ask. Of course, we understand, and I think that's why this is all tied together, but we understand that when it comes to children and sexual interactions, that it doesn't matter how much a pedophile said, oh, this child consented. We understand that there are different dynamics and different ethical questions at play than a simple yes or no, because that child doesn't have the capability of consenting. That is always true when it comes to different kinds of power dynamics. And what you're talking about is that in most cases with, with women who choose to be surrogates, there's a power dynamic there. Many times they are poor, destitute women in places like Ukraine. And the only way they think that they're going to be able to get out of poverty is by taking the $30,000 to carry someone's baby. Um, so is it really a choice? Is it really a choice? Yes. Same thing when it comes with abortion and all kinds of things. Speaking of Ukraine, we saw the consequences of that too. Babies left without parents, without anyone to care for them because of surrogacy. Yeah, and it's, you know, when you look at who the number one target for surrogacy is in the United States, it's our enlisted military wives. You know, husbands are enlisted men in the military and the, the big fertility surrogacy industry targets are advertising to military wives. So it's it's a money, um, it's, an, it, it's an economic equal, inequality issue. And, you know, what little girl grows up going, you know, I want to be a paid sex worker, or I, I want to be a paid surrogate. You know, where do I go to school? How do I study to be that? You know, women, little girls don't grow up. You know, there's situations that have presented in their life and circumstances that have come about that have led them to not choose, but in, you know, because of economics, sometimes do things that they don't want to do because they need the money. Yeah. I mean, overwhelmingly, egg donors are just trying to pay off school debt. Right. You know, and the egg donor ads are heavily targeted to young women at universities, you know, who they know they have a lot of debt and they may be graduating in a very uncertain job market. Yeah. 
And I'm sorry, I know that this is like kind of intense or some people think it's intense, but I think a lot of Christians don't think about this, but egg donation is child abandonment. Again, I think some people think that it's okay to uh, make money that way or you're choosing to do it or you're being selfless. But especially from a Christian perspective, if we are called to care for our children, care for our family in the New Testament, we're told that not caring for your family makes you worse than an unbeliever. And people don't think of egg donation in that way or sperm donation in that way, but it actually is. It's abdicating your responsibility. It is abandoning what will be um, a child, what will be a future child. And again, no one seems to be asking the question, like, where do the rights of the child come into all of this? It's just about what adults want. Yeah, I I speak a lot um, on university campuses, and a lot of times they'll invite me to show my film Exploitation or my other film Anonymous Anonymous Father's Day, which focuses on sperm donation. And I always tell the young students in the audience that you're not donating anything; you are selling your future children. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's so true. They do, you know, I didn't think about that. They do call it donating, but it's not donating. It's not donating. You donate your items to Goodwill for no money. You don't donate your sperm or your eggs. You are actually getting paid for that. You're selling them, which is very different. You know, you talked about people being targeted on social media and Cosmo actually covered this kind of surprisingly, maybe um, at the end of July. So they said social media is encouraging young women to become egg donors. There's that word again. But is it actually a good idea? So the author of this piece said that over the past few months, the social media algorithms have been feeding her ads to donate her eggs. The donor goes through counseling, then treatment that artificially suppresses the donor's hormonal cycle, usually through a daily injection over a two-week period. Donors are then injected with hormones to boost the number of eggs produced. A few days before collection, the donor is given an injection of HCG, which matures their eggs. Then the eggs are removed while the woman is sedated. The woman may feel discomfort or pain for a few days afterward. The eggs will either be frozen or mixed with a sperm sample that day from the intended father of the child. So women are getting targeted Instagram ads to do this to their bodies, which is also so strange to me because I'm constantly told that there are too many children in the world and that we have an overpopulation problem. And yet the same kind of people seem to be targeting women with this kind of thing. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, there's just Google World Egg Banks. There's one in Arizona. You know, they want to be the providers of eggs for the world. Um, The United States owns, I want to say, over 75% of the global sperm market. Um, Egg and sperm are called gametes. And so, you know, gametes fetch a lot of money, make a lot of money. And people don't think that it's harmful because again, they're just fixated on the end product, which is this cute little healthy baby that somebody's gonna get that, that really wants it. But you know, egg donation is risky. The FDA just slapped another um, warning label on a drug called Lupron. And Lupron is what is used to block puberty um, in young children that think they're born in the wrong body. Lupron is, has been used for years with egg donors. That's the first drug that they're, they're given. And two of the women in my film, Exploitation, suffered a massive stroke. And the FDA warning that was just put on um, Lupron last week as it relates to using this as a puberty blocking uh, drug related to pressure uh, in the brain. 
Um, and w- what is a stroke? <laughs> it's the brain. Right. Oh, yes. We talked about that, how these puberty blockers the FDA is saying that it's causing vision loss. It's causing brain swelling in minors. Also, just interesting, I just thought about this, apparently using Lupron, which I, I'm pretty sure isn't, was that the medication that is also, it used to be used for pedophiles to basically chemi- chemically castrate them? Is that the same medication well, what, see, or is it? Yeah, yeah. What what Lupron does is it the reason it's used to block puberty is because it stops the development of testicles and ovaries that produce egg and sperm, right? And so in in that regard, it was used on pedophiles because it it sort of medically castrates them. Gotcha. So and that's been yeah. being used on children to block pu- puberty, and you're saying that that is also being used for egg donors as well? It has been for years. And it's what most people don't realize is, you know, the FDA gives different ratings to drugs based on how harmful and dangerous they are, how carcinogenic they are. And Lupron has what's called a category X rating. Hmm. And a category X rating means if you're taking this drug with this category X rating and you get pregnant, you will have a child born with disabilities. Not you might have, that, but you will have a child. And so when I think of the, the patient population of the egg donor, these are often young girls on college campuses who are sexually active, but they're told, don't get pregnant, don't have sexual intercourse while you're going through your egg donation process. And how many times have you heard about people that aren't compliant and don't follow doctor's orders? Right. Um, so they're kind of playing with fire. And think about the egg donor or the, the minor child who you're blocking puberty. These are not patients. They have no medical need. There's nothing wrong with their bodies to be putting these powerful, dangerous drugs in them. I also just think about the fact, and again, this is probably something that could get us kicked off YouTube, and so I'll try to be as cryptic as possible. We were told (laughs) that a particular medication for COVID, that it was very, very dangerous to use the off-label uses of this particular drug that has been given to millions and millions of people for a very long time for uh, different reasons. We were told that you can only use it for river blindness, that you can only use it for one thing, but you can't possibly try to use it with COVID. That's very dangerous. But when it comes to something like Lupron, you can use it on all kinds of patients for all kinds of reasons, even knowing that it's category X. That apparently is perfectly safe but using a drug that has been safely used for millions of people around the world for COVID is not. Isn't that interesting? It's almost like one makes yeah. money and the other one doesn't. It's this one we want to play fast and loose with the facts because they fit our narrative. You know, and many, many, many drugs are used off label. And, and right. a lot of times it's just absolutely fine. I mean, the FDA approval process of getting a drug to market is quite lengthy and very expensive. So, but once a drug is on the market and have, which is Lupron, Lupron was first FDA approved for treating men in end-stage prostate cancer. Again, because it does the menopause, it does the shrinking of the prostate. And um, so, and then it went on later and got, I think, uh, an FDA approval for treatment of endometriosis in, in women. But, you know, it's used off-label as a puberty blocking agent. It's used off-label, you know, with women who are becoming egg donors, egg sellers. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's convenient to sometimes say you can't use it because it's off-label, but other times it's okay. Okay, let me tell y'all about Patriot Mobile. This is America's only Christian conservative cell phone 
provider. So right now you are using a mobile phone provider that is probably taking your money and then sending it to causes, organizations, politicians that you do not support, that are actively fighting against all of the values and principles that you hold dear. Well, why don't you give your money to a company that you know is not going to do that? In fact, they are supporting all of the causes that you support, and that feels really good. Patriot Mobile is different from every other provider out there, but they use all of, uh, they have all of the same great coverage as all of the other major carriers. So you don't have to compromise at all. Go to patriotmobile.com slash Allie and use the offer code Allie to get free activation. They have plans for almost any budget. They also have special discounts for veterans and first responders. So go to patriotmobile.com slash Allie. Use offer code Allie for that free activation. That's patriotmobile.com slash Allie. Okay, I want to get your reaction to this story and I guess kind of just this topic. And this is the the, the one that we'll end on. So this is according to Daily Mail. Two-thirds of applications from single people to become the parent of a surrogate child are done by men. That raises a lot of red flags for me. Almost two-thirds of applications from single people to become the legal parent of a surrogate child have been from men, single men. We're not even talking necessarily gay men. We're talking about single men. Since the law changed three years ago to provide singletons with the same surrogacy rights as couples, this is in the UK, 82 applications were made by single intended parents according to the Children and Family Court Advisory and Support Service of those 54 were men. Uh, The experts said that the figures echo anecdotal evidence of a growing interest among single men, both gay and straight, in parenting alone. That's a little troubling to me, Jennifer. What do you think? Yeah, there's some red flags. There's some red flags that that's that's a growing trend. Single men, men having babies and now single men having babies. We actually, as a side, we have history was made in California. Again, my apology tour on the state of California. We have three men, um, the first gay poly thruple that have two children through egg selling and surrogacy. And all three of the men are listed as fathers on the birth certificate. So these children have no mothers, no women listed on their birth certificate. So we have three men having babies. We have two men having babies. And now we have single men. Um, You know, I, I smell something rotten, you yeah. know. Of you course. Know. I mean, we have you... the, the story of the, the Japanese billionaire who many yes. years ago now um, hired 13 women and was granted custody of all, all these children that these surrogate women he had, like a little harem of children. I mean, I, I think uh, child pedophilia, I think pornography, child pornography ring. I mean, all kinds of, nothing again I can point to with facts and evidence, but I just... I smell something untoward. No, I no um, on that one. I am sure that there was Kelly actually J. reporting about that. There was actually reporting that the, it was there was abuse there. It wasn't just oh he's you know Father Christmas. He likes kids. It there there was some like exploitation going on with that Japanese tycoon. And I'm sure that you saw the couple. And this is not. I don't think it's surrogacy, but it's the couple out of Georgia that was actually just arrested because they adopted two young boys and ended up filming child sex abuse material with those young boys. And look, I understand that can happen with any couple. That can happen with any type of people. I'm not saying that it is only exclusive to, you know, one particular demographic, but 
it does speak to the greater likelihood of those kinds of consequences when you are creating a child with the intention of tearing apart the biological ties that they have. Of course, adoption is one scenario that is different than purposely creating a child with the intention of taking away them from uh, taking them away from their mother, which is the egg donor, or taking them away from their father, which is the sperm donor, which is what commercial surrogacy does. There are consequences to that, not just for the child, but also for the parents. Yeah, and I'm not advocating for surrogacy. I'm a total abolitionist on the issue. I don't want to see it regulated. But, you know, at, at first blush, you hear these stories about all these, you know, growing trends of just single men. And uh, unlike adoption, there's no background checks done on intended parents who are uh, paying to buy eggs, buy sperm, rent wombs, you know, get children. There, you know, there's none of that that's happening to vet that are these children going into wonderful homes. Right. And when you look at the international level of it, it's really even more. I mean, you don't even know who you, you think you're having babies for if, in fact, those are going to be the people when those babies leave America and go to a different country, who will they actually really even go to? Yeah, right. Kids have a right to a mom and a dad. And when you take that away, they there will be repercussions. Uh, Ricky Martin, he recently said, um, now he was also recently accused by his nephew of like incestual sexual predation. So that's troubling. Um, and he also said recently, this is uh, November 2020, I have a couple of embryos waiting for me. So I think that you've referred to frozen embryos as souls on ice that, again, I guess just don't have rights. And if you are someone who wants them, you can choose to implant them at any time. You can choose to throw them in the garbage at any time, or you can choose to just allow them to be frozen completely indefinitely. Um, It's just up to the whims of the parents, right? Or you can donate them to science Mm. or research. Um, so that's sort of the whole human cloning embryo stem cell debate that we had under the George Bush presidency. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. And I, I can't take credit for souls on ice because actually Lisa Monday wrote a, a Mother mm-hmm. Jones article during the great stem cell debate of George Bush era, and she called them souls on ice. So I'll give credit for her, uh, it's her, a good her phrase. use of that term. I mean, it allows yeah, you and, to you know, think I'm about it. I'm not Catholic, but you know, one, of the, one of the Catholic documents actually call, talks about the absurd fate the absurd fate of the frozen embryo. Somebody who heard me on one of our past shows I've done with you, Allie, reached out to me just yesterday and goes, what do you think about embryo adoption? And I'm like, I've written and spoken so much, you know, here, go go read this stuff. And then if you still have questions, ask me about that again. But yeah, it is. And we've got, you know, well over a million um, in the United States frozen human embryos. And, you know, I just got an email from some big people in Washington, D.C. the other day, because now everybody's scrambling with the, the Dobbs decision. And what does that mean for IVF? And what does that mean for frozen embryos and embryo creation? And so I'm already seeing, you know, probably in the next year or two, things will really ramp up legislatively, because we've never really had any kind of legislation around assisted reproductive technology. Yeah. Um, maybe because for the last 50 years, everybody's you know been fighting the, the Roe versus Wade debate. So it's unclear to me how that will all shake out because I know pro-life people love IVF. Yeah. <laughs> so well, it'll they be think, really interesting. They think that they, they, think that they do. 
Um, and uh, many yeah, haven't thought thing, about yeah. it or they're afraid that criticizing the process of IVF and what goes into it and the possible consequences means that they don't believe that children created by IVF are made in the image of God or they feel bad because they took part in it. And of course, that's not the point of of what we're saying, but we are asking, you are asking the ethical questions that should have been asked a long time ago. People can go yeah. listen to our previous two episodes if they have more questions about IVF. Um, I do want to play this video just so people kind of understand the process, the seemingly beautiful, perfect process of surrogacy and egg donation. This is a couple that I guess was on TikTok um, adopted. I believe it's a baby girl or not adopted sorry bought uh this little baby girl through egg selling and surrogacy here's um here's how this brave new world looks today so this is how we chose our beautiful egg donor um so we wanted her to have lovely big eyes i wanted her to have really thick hair because i've had two hair transplants <laughs> i wanted her to have a really wide nice smile and just look like a kind person yeah and we wanted her to be creative because we love the arts yeah so how it works is you join up with the egg donor agency and you literally go through thousands that's what Stuart that's did. what i did i went through thousands 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 i shortlisted them sent them to francis and yeah. let him decide and then we had i had three or four in front of me and then we had a few Zoom calls with the ones that we liked, and then the yeah. first egg donor let us down. Fuming, so second bad. egg donor let us down. Oh, yeah. Fuming. Fuming, and then by the third, we literally found her, and I was like, oh, she's incredible. And when we got on the Zoom call, we were like, oh, be calm, God, play it so down, beautiful. don't be too keen. Um, and and luckily, she said yes, and this is the result. Yeah. He's looking at <laughs> Tell me what you think disgusting i mean there are you know literally catalogs and you know heterosexual couples do this too um because they want a particular baby that looks a particular way uh they want the right sex they don't want down syndrome they want eye color they want ethnicity you know it's just you know we have a, a, a horrible case out here in california with a gay couple that did egg and you know egg buying and surrogacy and you know, they wanted a boy and then they found out that they're going to get a girl and, yes. you know, they have a lawsuit. You know, we, we don't want just babies. We want the kind of babies we paid for and we ordered. And it's just, you know, it's sickening. It that, is. It is that sickening. This is, glor this is like, you know, glorified or, you know, celebrated. I mean, we should be shunning people that do this kind of stuff. It's eugenics. It's eugenics. Yeah. It's the very same stuff that Planned Parenthood was started with. And of course, like Planned Parenthood, and that, <laughs> it's all connected. It started as a, a eugenics movement. Yep. And it also was a pioneer, especially Margaret Sanger, in the reproductive technology and birth control technology, which that's another thing that women don't get informed consent about. In addition to all the other things that we talked about, it is also then connected to the puberty blockers and the hormones that are distributed by Planned Parenthood to minors. And then, of course abortion and many of these surrogates right sometimes they are forced to actually get abortions from the parents that originally paid them to carry a child right it's written into their contracts mm. you know that they are agreeing in advance to either terminate the pregnancy or or reduce it if they're you know end up with twins or triplets and the purchasing parents decide that they don't want two or three babies so we've had quite a few cases where women 
even though they had signed the contracts in agreement that they would do that when it when they were faced with being asked to do it they had a really hard time doing that and then of, of course. course it's all punitive this 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 you know you're in breach of your contract you're going to have to pay all the money back you're going to have to keep these babies and raise them because we don't want them uh, it's just it's horrific it's horrific think about think, that young girl who, who would want these people to be parents exactly and think think about that young I mean, girl who i mean I guess if she is not aborted and she is given to these two men, say they even, you know, grow to love her or whatever. I'm just terrified of even like the prospect of them having custody of her. But growing up realizing that they were engaged in a lawsuit because they didn't want her because of their gender. Yeah. The same we people who, by the way, think gender is arbitrary. I guess, yeah. believe it's so and important. social media live, lives on. It will be just a matter of time till that child is old enough to, you know, find out on online that her, her dad's, you know, wanted to sue because they didn't get the product that they ordered. Yeah, man, oh, it all goes people. back. Degradation of the body and the complete um, ignorance of children's rights and who we are and what we're and what we're for. Um, thank you so much for raising the questions that you do and for doing the work that you do. How can people support you, reach out to you, watch your documentaries? Well, our website is cbc-network.org. I'm very active on Twitter as well as Instagram, less so on Facebook. Um, we have a huge YouTube channel, Center for Bioethics and Culture Network, where all of our films that I've mentioned while we've just been chatting today are there to watch for free. And, you know, stay tuned and follow us because you'll you'll be the first to know we're going to release the Detransition Diary, Saving Our Sisters on September 19th, Good. which is just a few weeks away. Yes. So yes, it and is. chip in if you want to help. We still are trying to close our our budget. Yes. Hey, that's really important for, and we'll include the link, Jennifer, to that. But anyone who is listening, even if you can just donate $5 or maybe you can donate $5,000, I don't know what your resources are, but Jennifer is funded in the work that she does to change people's minds on the things that we're talking about that have real consequences on the most vulnerable people in our society. It's funded by people like you. It's funded by generosity. And so if you are able to donate anything to Jennifer and her projects, that is you making an investment in things that really matter and have a consequence on people's bodies and minds and lives and babies. Um, and so thank you so much, Jennifer. I really encourage people to support you in any way that they can. Thank you. All right. I told y'all y'all would love that conversation. I did not lead you astray. She always brings it. So make sure you follow and support her. All right. I'm excited to tell you about our last sponsor for the day because I think this company, Healthy Cell, makes an amazing product that really is going to be a pioneer when it comes to new technology in multivitamins. So we all know it's important to get your vitamins, your, your nutrients, your minerals, everything that you need that you might not be getting from the food that you're eating, but it's hard to know if your multivitamins are actually doing what they say that they're going to do. And if you're taking like your standard multivitamin, so if you're taking your standard capsule or tablet, you probably are not getting all of the nutrients that the back of the bottle says that you are getting because our body just doesn't really do a good job of absorbing um, absorbing the ingredients that are in those tablets and capsules. And it's because a lot of those artificial fillers actually irritate 
the lining of our esophagus and our stomach. And so it's actually sometimes doing the opposite of what we want them to be doing when we're taking these multivitamins. And that's why I love Healthy Cell. It's actually an ingestible gel. So there's 165% more absorption than pills. So don't you wanna be, if you're gonna take something every day, don't you wanna feel good about it working? Don't you want it to actually be good for your body? Then you should try Healthy Cell. They're micro gel ensures maximum absorption of the kind of nutrients that will help you uh, help you get all of the vitamins and the nutrients that you need to stay healthy. Go to healthycell.com slash Allie. That's healthy, C-E-L-L.com. Use code Allie for 20% off your first order. That's healthycell.com slash Allie. Okay, I just want to end with some encouragement, some reminders for you guys. I know that the things that we talk about, we talked about this a little bit yesterday at the end of yesterday's episode, they can make us feel like the world is going to hell in a handbasket, that there's no hope. We're scared of our federal government. We're scared of the powers that be. It seems that things are getting crazier and less moral, less sane by the minute. But the fact of the matter is, and I always remind you guys have this because I don't think that I can remind you enough that God is completely and totally 100% sovereign over every single aspect of our lives, every second of every day, everything that goes on in the big picture and the small. He's in all of it. There is nothing that surprises him. There is nothing that throws him off. There is nothing that catches him off guard. There is nothing that shocks or uh, shocks him or takes him aback, he is completely and totally sovereign. There is nothing that can thwart his sovereign will. And even though that's confusing to us as finite, fallible human beings, as we ask ourselves, how could God allow evil to occur? How could God allow all of these injustices to be uh, perpetrated? How can he allow bad to go on? He is not doing nothing. He is not sitting back on his hands, wondering what's going to happen next. He is not a God who comes in and cleans up the mess later. But the fact is, is that his eternal plan of redemption is always going off without a hitch and his anger his wrath is kindling against injustice even as his patience is being sustained as more people come to him so there will be a day when he takes care of all of the evil that we talked about today that we've talked about on so many other episodes all the different forms of wickedness that we see in this world will one day be put to an end he will wipe every tear every sickness will be healed every sorrow will be uh completely disappeared and we won't have to worry about the things that we are discussing he is coming back he will rule in perfect righteousness and peace and so what is our role until then our role is to care about the wickedness and injustices that are going on and to try with all of the resources and the strengths and the talents and the abilities that we have to do something about them. God is not doing nothing about the wrongs that we see. He uses Christians to help make things right, to display his power, to display his glory, to soften and change hearts and to bring other people towards him to advance his kingdom. That is what he is doing, even if it doesn't make headlines, even if it doesn't trend on Twitter, even if it's not what people are talking about in your life or online, his plan 
is still going off without a hitch, and he will one day do something about wrongs, about injustice. Psalm 37 is a wonderful reminder of how he will take care of evil. So until then, we trust him, we obey him, we do the next right thing in faith, with excellence, and for the glory of God. That's the only thing we can do. The reason I have this podcast is because I feel like from a very young age, God gave me the ability and desire to talk and to care about and to discuss the things that I'm passionate about, the things that I really believe matter, to try to persuade people to a certain viewpoint, to try to talk to other people that have interesting viewpoints that can enlighten me and can enlighten you. I have always wanted to do what I do now. And so I am simply using the small set of resources and abilities that I have to um to do what God has called me to do and to try to make my little tiny mark on the span of eternity and to make my little small impact uh, in the sphere that God has providentially placed me in. You're called to the same thing in a different way because you've got different talents. You've got different connections, different resources. You're in a different place. You're in a different stage of life. You've got uh, different things going on that God is calling you to. And it could just be changing the next dirty diaper. It could be uh, cleaning dishes with joy, or it could be something else. It could be um, taking that next opportunity or that next risk that God is calling you to. All it is for all of us is using what God has given us for his glory. And that's why we have peace in the midst of all this craziness. That's why we have joy. That's why we have hope. Because our call as Christians is the same that it has been for thousands and thousands of years now. And that is to simply obey God for his glory. To be a refuge as the church of both courage and clarity, even as the culture is just wallowing in confusion and chaos. Um, so thank you guys for supporting the show, for allowing me to uh, do what I do and uh, for all of your encouragement and your prayers in that. We truly are a community and a family raising a respectful ruckus together about the things that matter. Um, thank you so much for for all of your feedback and your support and your encouragement and prayers over the years. If you love this podcast, feel free, leave it a five-star review, or you can message me and you can tell me what we can do better for you, what you like, what you don't like about the show. I take that stuff to heart. So thank you guys so much. We will be back here on Monday.